In order to fully appreciate and understand the gospel passage that we just heard, we have to look back at the verses that precede it. Verses 13 through 20 are commonly known as the confession of Peter. And in that passage, Jesus asked the disciples, Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answers, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. In this scene, Jesus renames Simon, son of Jonah, as Peter, which means rock, to signify that in confessing Jesus as the Messiah is the foundation of the church. But a mere three verses later in today's gospel, after Jesus says he must suffer and be killed, Jesus rebukes Jesus, Peter rebukes Jesus saying, this must never happen to you. And then Jesus responds with my favorite line of Scripture to quote, Get behind me, Satan. In just three verses, Peter goes from being the rock, the foundation upon which the church will be built, to being a stumbling block. We go from the confession of Peter to the confusion of Peter, just like that. Jesus calls Peter Satan because despite his intentions, Peter is obstructing Jesus' ministry. He is trying to tempt Jesus away from the cross. I love this whole set of verses, and I wish that our Sunday lectionary had Matthew 16, 13 to 23 as one reading instead of split across two Sundays, because I think we miss the point of the reading if we don't view them together. Part of why I love this collection of verses so much is because I so relate to Peter. I was ordained a priest on the feast of the confession of Peter, and that is part of my identity as a priest. It has always been a source of great hope and relief for me that someone who is a bit of a bumbling fool sometimes in Scripture was called to lead the church can be relieving at times. I also love this passage because it so closely resembles my own call to ministry and all of our lives as Christians. Peter has confessed Jesus as the Christ, but doesn't fully get the implications of following Jesus. And in general, Neither do we. I was raised in the Episcopal Church and then in high school went through a whole atheist phase 
And in college, I first started to feel a call to the priesthood. And after graduating, I moved back to Utah where I grew up and started the ordination process in the Episcopal Diocese of Utah. And then proceeded to freak out and run away and literally moved back to Portland, Oregon for several years. This sense of call to priesthood was not at all what I had envisioned uh, for my life. And I felt like I was in this constant struggle between my will for my life and God's will for my life. And I was physically trying to run away from it, but it wouldn't go away. I, at one point, was asked to describe my walk with Jesus. And I said, my walk with Jesus is kind of like a game of kick the can, but I'm the can. In this struggle between my will and God's will, human ways and divine ways, continued even into seminary, especially as my ordination approached. During my senior year of seminary, I became so racked with anxiety that I honestly felt like I was losing my life. And true to Jesus' message, it was only in renouncing my own ways and goals and accepting God's will in my life that I ended up finding my life. Of course, this doesn't mean this is all resolved for me. I still struggle with this. And in many ways, the Christian life is the journey of turning again and again from human things to divine things. And it's hard. We are very good at co-opting Jesus for human things. As one writer put it, during his earthly ministry, Jesus confronted the way things are. Now we use him to endorse the way things are. Jesus suffers and dies because he refuses to appease the status quo. He continues his God-oriented ministry, even at the cost of his life. How does all this play out in your own life? What ways have you set your mind on human things? And what ways have you set your life, your mind on divine things? How do you benefit from the status quo, even if it doesn't align with God's will for you? Perhaps today or this week, you can make your own list of human things that your mind is on and divine things your mind is on. Some examples. In the passage where Jesus calls Simon Peter and makes him the rock, the foundation of the church, but then we have Peter rebuking Jesus, we see a Peter who is motivated primarily by his fear. Lord, this must never happen to you. He's motivated by fear, not by faith. That is a human thing. 
common one is equating our net worth with our self-worth. And perhaps the one I find most troubling for all of us in these times is the smug derision for people with opposing political views. It feels like it's become endemic on all sides in our country. And one of the problems of the isolation of this pandemic is it becomes easier to view other people as enemies or threats. Divine things. What are the divine things you have set your mind on? God's call to you in your life. I'm going to share a divine thing I experienced yesterday. I got a message from uh, a mother in the congregation telling me that her seven-year-old son had used most of the savings that he had saved up over the last year and a half to buy items for the gift bags we are collecting for fire victims. And she sent me a picture of him standing next to a filled-up shopping cart full of all the items he had purchased. A seven-year-old using his savings in that way. There's something in Scripture about a child shall lead them. What a divine thing. Filled my heart. And the heart of Jesus' message is that it is when we set our mind on divine things that we become most truly human. We find our lives created in the image of God when we set our mind on divine things. But how do we do this? Fortunately for us today, the readings we had from Romans is essentially an instruction manual on how to focus on divine things instead of human things. Hear the passage again. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, 
so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's a great instruction manual on turning your mind to divine things. Persecution here in this passage refers to the disciples being persecuted as followers of Jesus. It does not mean that those who suffer social injustice should accept it and bless their oppressors. There is nothing in Jesus' earthly ministry that supports that view. The odd line about heap burning coals on their heads, that line means a change that line means a change of mind that takes place as the result of an act of love. When we do what Paul says in this passage, it brings forth the repentance of the enemy. At the end of our services, often when we're gathered together in church, we pray for God to send us out to do the work God has given us to do. So this is your work this week. I invite you to read this passage from Romans every day this week and to strive to live out the divine things it calls us to. Give it a try. Who knows? You might just find your life. <laughs>